Welcome to another edition of the PW Mania Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Justin C. Joined this week by both my co-host, Cam, and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, as we are here to catch up on the last couple of weeks in the world of pro wrestling and also give you a new top five, which this week was looking at the top five uh, current tag teams in the world of pro wrestling and also going a little bit of history, uh, giving our own personal top five Survivor Series pay-per-views of the 80s and 90s. So we have that to get to there. Uh, we're going to start this week looking at the current setup for WWE Survivor Series taking place in a couple weeks as the War Games match was officially announced by Adam Pierce this past Monday on Raw as we have the current group as is. The Judgment Day, of course, of uh, Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Dominic Mysterio, and J.D. McDonough taking on Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, and Sami Zayn. There are reports that we may be seeing a fifth person added to each of those teams, with the rumor being a full Drew McIntyre heel turn joining the Judgment Day and a returning Randy Orton joining the men's team to uh, go five-on-five five there. But, of course, they set it up with the natural brawl that took place at the end of Raw with everybody uh, you know, being held separately apart by various officials or quote-unquote security officials, and then Adam Pearce coming out. Not the same that William Regal used to do it, but, of course, we know William Regal can't appear on TV for a full year since coming back to the WWE given the contract he signed after he left AEW. But uh, it seemed like the logic choice, the logical way they were going, there was some talk that there may have been the bloodline involved with maybe a kind of a cross-brand thing with uh, either Solo Sequoia and Jimmy Uso joining possibly and LA Knight also joining. But I like the way they went here. You know, it's it's pretty, you know, Judgment Day has been running raw as far as the heel things go. We've had Cody and Jay going back and forth with the Judgment Day. They're getting a tag title rematch uh, this Monday on Raw. Um, Seth has had his, his problems with Judgment Day. Sami Zayn had his problems recently. And of course, if the rumored, you know, Drew McIntyre heel turn takes place, they've been throwing little Easter eggs of Drew McIntyre backstage talking with Rhea Ripley in the background. So it's a very, uh, a very logical way to get where I think they wanted to go. And I thought it was very well done and it's fine to not have a world title match. I think on survivor series, I mean, I don't know. You're not going to have Roman probably defending the title as well, but I think this card could be set up very nicely, especially when you add the women's war games match too. that. I think it'll be a show that's not really missing a world title match, even though we are getting a couple so-so title matches so far in Gunther versus the Miz and Rhea Ripley versus Zoe Stark. Uh, but I'll go to you chairman first here. What are your thoughts on the setup for the war games match and your level of excitement for it? Yeah, this, uh, you heard all the talk, you know, people were kind of speculating this was the direction they were going to go. And I definitely agree that the bloodline story wasn't there this year like it was last year. So Judgment Day being the hot heel faction pretty much most of this year, it would make sense for them to be in a big war game stage and the right pieces are there to oppose them. You know, like you said, Seth's had issues with those guys for how long now? Sammy recently, you know, main event Jey Uso, Cody Rhodes. So this 4-4 combination works perfectly. And if you want to throw in Drew McIntyre and a possible Randy Orton, which I don't know how we're going to get to Randy Orton, so that'll be interesting. But uh, you could definitely do a five-on-five -five situation should you want to call that. Um, I think the four-on-four is fine as well. But, uh, you know, this should be a good match. And, you know, it's going to be weird seeing Seth not defending the um, title at a pay-per-view or premier live event like he's been forever. But, uh you know, he's doing enough Raws, too. He just had a match with Sami Zayn this past Raw. So, I mean, why not give a big stipulation match to the center stage for once? 
My one hope is that we possibly maybe kind of get blood this year of working. I mean, Cody's in it, so I can't imagine Cody not like wanting to follow in his daddy's footsteps and be like, let me let me blade, daddy. Let me bring it out and blade like my daddy did in the war games or something like that. I mean, you can't have a Rhodes in a war games match and not have him bleed, I think, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Cam, what are your thoughts on the build for this war games match? Yeah, like you said, you know, Judgment Day's been running rough on Raw for a while now, and I think they've finally really entered that upper echelon uh, territory as far as, like, that movie roster is power rankings go or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then you have all the top baby faces, so I think it is it is a great match. You know, you don't we don't need to see Seth defend the title against some guy he's probably going to beat anyways or anything like that. I think this is the best use uh, for all these guys. You know, like you said, on the Judgment Day side or on the Bloodlight side, you got Roman who only works, you know, 20 days a year, whatever it is. Um, Solo had a big win against Cena, but, you know, I'm kind of surprised they didn't throw Cena in there. So I'm kind of surprised, even though Cena's more on SmackDown, but, you know, you could easily do Cena if you want to throw another babyface on there. I mean, I'll believe Randy Orton returns when I see it. They've been teasing a Randy Orton return. Well, not teasing it, but the Internet's been teasing it for months now. So, I mean, if you do go that route and a returning Randy Orton and then a a heel-turning Drew McIntyre, you could have those guys feud into the new year so that'll be a nice welcome back feud for randy orton and then a nice change of pace for drew mcintyre but yeah i mean i think the match is gonna be fantastic i think right now outside of like the nxt war games this probably could be the best uh main roster war games match we've had um you know there is rumblings that it could be kevin owens too going on that side i'd almost rather see kevin go over there and um other than randy orton you know i like randy orton but you know he's who knows if he's ever going to come back. You know, I think he's kind of enjoying his life right now. going to slide into that Undertaker role where he has one, two matches a year going forward. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, right now I'm kind of worried. I'm not really worried, but I think that if you look at all the faces on there, I think Judgment Day as a whole, I think if we're going to go early predictions, I say Judgment Day wins the match just so they can really solidify their positions. And then the four baby faces can kind of go and do whatever they're going to do next. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, Seth is champion. You guys, Cody's going to be Cody. You know, Cody, Jay, they're all going to be over regardless whether they win or lose. I think, you know, even though we said that Judgment Day is kind of like the thing right now, the faction in the WWE, they probably still could use another big win uh, in order to establish themselves and get, a, you know, even stronger hold on top of the WWE heel division. And I think a win here, of course, granted, like I said, we're still two weeks out. Uh, a win here definitely would help that out as far as establishing them as major stars. I still think there should be or could possibly be the, a Finn Balor world title run at some point. I think we'd have to get there. I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but I definitely think that's something that even would establish them even more. The tag titles are fine right now. You know, Dominic with the North American title is fine, but um, I think a Finn Balor world title win would definitely help elevate that group even more. And then, as I mentioned on the women's side of things, we do have what looks to be the beginnings of a women's war games match as well, as we saw Kyrie Sane return at Crown Jewel uh, to help out her uh, pal EO Sky and uh, retain the women's title against Bianca Belair. So... It looks like we're starting to be got, and we had Asuka join Damage Control this past Friday on SmackDown as well. So it seems like we're kind of getting the beginnings of a War Games match here. Um, uh, Dakota Kai still can't wrestle uh, or can't return. You know, um, she's still injured. So it looks like we're getting probably Io Sky, Bailey, Kyrie Sane, and Asuka on the women's side of things. 
uh, and on the fa- on the face or the heel side, excuse me, and then on the face side, we're probably gonna get Bianca Belair, Charlotte, Shotzi. The rumor is Becky Lynch joining that team. Of course, she's on Raw, so not really sure how they're gonna accomplish that. But I mean, there's really no other baby faces on the SmackDown side of things, unless you're gonna put Zelina Vega in there, which I don't think you would. Uh, there's always, of course, the possibility of Jade Cargill being put in there, which would be interesting. I think that'd be a good way. A War Games match, I think, would be a good way to debut her and protect her, you know, from having to wrestle like a long standard match right away she could be the last woman in she can just throw the other women around the cage um but i kind of think we're gonna get to the point where bailey gets kicked out of damage control we're gonna have this uh joe Yo- joshi however you say that word um group of eo asuka and Kyrie saying kind of running uh running crazy over on SmackDown. Now, I, I probably would prefer them just fighting each other rather than forming a super group, but if they're going to go the super group route, I'm totally fine with it as well, which I'm assuming because, you know, it's pro wrestling and they're eventually just going to lead to a breakup no matter what. But it was a strong return for Kyrie being put right in the top. Women's picture on SmackDown, I think, for her is good too. So a, a plus there, but I definitely think we're looking at Bailey being kicked out. I don't know what that leads, leans for Dakota Kai when she returns from injury. Is she going to get kicked out too is she going to stay with eo asuka and Kyrie sane uh but it's a nice little uh shake up and i think a nice little um you know group forming there kind of rebounding damage control as we talked about a few months ago with damage control just kind of looking uh, a little bit weaker and weaker but now we've got you know eo is champion which i think works out so it's a good strong rebound i think for damage control after uh, a couple of months going into like uh, the summer where we were just kind of questioning why they were even still together. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the potential war uh, women's side of things, uh, chairman, as far as war games goes? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of uh, change going on with the damage control faction. You know, Kyrie comes back, wasted spot for her to come back though. I, I didn't like it over there cause they hate women. They should have did it in the States, but that's besides the point. But you know, Oscar turned heel was definitely a surprise. I thought for sure it would have been, you know, those three against, you know, damage control and Oscar decided, no, I'm, I'm not playing with Bianca and Charlotte anymore. So this changes everything. I mean, you're curious who Bianca and Charlotte would find to fight on their side. And of course the internet's already saying, Oh, Becky Lynch, she's on raw. So probably not going to happen. But I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it started really hard. I mean, I've heard Jade Cargill's name, like you said, be tossed around, you know, there's people on NXT, there's people like, Shotzi or Selena Vega or who knows. I mean, I don't know what they're gonna do, but I just don't see anybody they could bring on to stand up to damage control's complete team and he has to code us out, but I mean I don't see them kicking Bailey out before war games. I mean it's a little too close for that. I think you should let them run their course for a while as a five woman faction. I mean, the tag division for the women is pretty much Chelsea Green. It's kind of lost its fizzle already, so you might as well have this you know, Oscar and Kyrie, you know, go win the tag titles and just spice that up a little bit. And you could really go somewhere with, you know, these five women in the group. Like, you don't need to break them up right away. I mean, that's inevitable. They'll probably kick Bailey out, like you said. And you're probably going to get a triple threat match between Asuka and Io and Kyrie at some point as well. Maybe WrestleMania. But I think for now, just let them run dominant because what else do you have to lose? 
Yeah, definitely see that. I definitely could see them getting the women's tag title. Because if I'm not mistaken, I still believe just like the men's tag champions, the women's tag champions can also appear on both brands. So they change that rule all the time. So I'm sure it doesn't really matter either way what the rule is. But that would definitely help damage control as well. Going over to Raw, kind of reestablish them over there too as just the threats in uh, the women's division in in the WWE. Uh, what are your thoughts, Cam? I mean, I feel like this has to be the spot for Jade Cargill, right? At some point, you know, you've been teasing it. I don't want to say that they've lost any fire on that with her, you know, appearing in the back at SmackDown and NXT and all that stuff. But I feel like this is the spot, right? I mean, her, Kyrie Sane coming back to the, the WWE was was huge. You know, you heard rumblings that Triple H made her an offer. You know, she's, she's come back now stateside. Um, so that's huge for the WWE. And then you have Jade Cargill. I think those are your those are your two stars right there. Other with Rhea Ripley, you know, obviously you have Becky and everybody else. But, you know, your your new fresh hot commodities are Kyrie Sane coming back under a Triple H led regime instead of fucking Vince and uh, Jade Cargill just waiting in the wings. And I think this is kind of the spot where you set Jade up to just, just look like a badass. And I mean, we'll see what what they end up doing. Um, I don't know. I think Kyrie coming back with EO and Jade Cargill and everything like that. I think this is kind of the best spot the WWE's women's division has been in since like the real, the four horsemen, four horsewoman push and, and Becky's huge run, you know, those years ago. I think this is the best spot that the women's division has been in for a long time. And it's really exciting. And I, you know, I just really feel like this is kind of the spot for Jade Cargill to come out, introduce herself to people who don't know who she is, dominate, kick everybody's ass. And then at some point, you know, maybe her and Rhea will be, you know, the uh, main event at WrestleMania. And then also going out to the back to the men's side of things, we had LA Knight take on Roman Reigns over at Crown Jewel and of course get defeated. I don't think any of us actually thought LA Knight would have been the one to dethrone Roman Reigns, even though it would have been a nice story. So he's now kind of back now to the, I don't want to say to the mid card, but he had a match in a little uh, program with Grayson Waller this past Friday on SmackDown, or two probably of the better talkers in the WWE. And LA Knight still got a great reaction on SmackDown. I don't think that's going to be going away anytime soon. Um, you know, he's definitely a guy that the crowd is still going to be behind. There's no reason for them not to still be behind. And I think, you know, Maybe in years past, you might have looked at it where L.A. Knight, okay, you know, got his title shot. Now he's back down. But I mean, even if you look at over on Raw, you had, you know, Nakamura had his title match against Seth Rollins, a couple of those. But he's still being booked pretty solidly as a top heel on Raw. They haven't stopped anything with him. So I'm kind of uh, positive that that nothing there is going to change. I mean, hell, you want to go down even to the to the mid card on Raw. You got Bronson Reed who had his Intercontinental Title match with Gunther, and he's still getting a pretty strong, uh, you know, push as far as being uh, a monster threat over on Raw. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week when we were doing our preview of what could happen with LA Knight after this. I still think they're going to build him back up, give him some handful of wins. I still think the logical choice is him versus Logan Paul at WrestleMania for the U.S. title. I mean, you've got Logan Paul showing up at UFC last night with uh, with the U.S. title. There was talk that, you know, Logan Paul might be retiring as a full-time boxer to go ahead and become a full-time wrestler. I mean, if that happens, great. We've seen what Logan Paul can do in the ring. He's much better, uh, you know, than anybody else is at this point of, a, of their wrestling career. I mean, maybe except Kurt Angle as far as adapting to it and just 
being able to promo, being able to actually wrestle and have good matches. But I think, you know, Logan Paul, LA Knight, that'll get the social media buzz with Logan Paul doing his YouTube, TikTok, whatever videos. And of course, you know, just LA Knight being LA Knight. And it'll be something where you got the wrestling fans who want to see LA Knight finally win a title and dethroning this, you know, cocky douchebag heel. Uh, Logan Paul is definitely a step in the right direction for them. Uh, what are your, I'll go to you, Cam, first on this one. Just what are your thoughts on what's next for LA Knight? You know, I read something on, on a report. Who knows? You never know about any of this stuff. I read a report that the WWE thinks this is as high as LA Knight can go, and I feel like that's just a complete fabrication. Someone who hates LA Knight plugged that story. Um, the guy's fucking over, man. Like, yeah, he wasn't going to be Roman, you know, if, if he was going to be Roman, it would have been on a mania, Royal Rumble type of thing. They're not going to do it over there in Saudi where the pay-per-view starts at 10 o'clock in the morning for U.S. fans. Um, you know, they he's elevated himself to a main event role. You know, I said when we talked about it, Logan Paul winning that, Logan Paul versus LA Knight just is meant for each other. Can they hold off until mania? I don't know. It's a long time. I mean, I Logan Paul obviously not coming around every single SmackDown. You know, he'll probably make an appearance at the Rumble things like that but i think that's definitely your one of your marquee matches coming into mania is la knight versus logan paul i think that's fantastic um and at some point you know once we get past uh roman's title reign you know if it knows if it's this mania or whatnot uh logan paul definitely can be a world champion even if they moved and let's say they draft him over to raw and he could be the one to beat Seth Rollins. who knows but I think LA Knight's here to stay for a while. I think his popularity will continue to rise, and you just have to give him those couple of big wins. And, you know, what's a bigger win than him beating um, internet sensation Logan Paul at WrestleMania or the, even the Royal Rumble or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, we talked about LA Knight winning the U.S. title as far back, I think, what was it, in the summer when they were doing that open challenge or there was a four-way match and we all thought LA Knight was going to be the one to win there and that didn't end up happening. Um, you know, we thought he was going to be the one to beat Rey Mysterio. That didn't end up happening. So uh, it's definitely something that's been talked about. I don't. I agree. I don't think that is LA Knight's level. Is he Is he the greatest worker in the world? No, he's not. Uh, you know, but he's a perfectly fine worker. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a perfectly fine worker and having your charisma and your mic work outshine everything. Thing. That's what a lot of fans don't care about ring work. You know, there are fans that do, and that's all they care about. But there are also fans who just want to like a guy to like a guy, and they don't care if it's matches, five stars or one star. If the guy has the crowd behind him, that's all that matters as far as I'm concerned. And L.A. Knight definitely still has that crowd behind him. Uh, what are your thoughts, Chairman, on L.A. Knight and his future? I think he's not finished with Roman Reigns yet. Like, I'm just trying to find a path for him right now. I mean, I definitely agree with you. The Logan Paul stuff at WrestleMania definitely sounds like a good idea. And obviously, Logan Paul appearances will be very limited probably until, I would say, Royal Rumble. He'd probably do a spot and then, you know, lead up to Mania. But, you know, we're middle of November. We got a lot of time between now and then. So, Logan Paul will continue to be the social media douchebag and posing in this shower with the title and in bed with a girl. And that title will probably be melted and burned and destroyed because it's probably tainted now. But, we got ways to go before we get to that point. So what's LA Knight going to do between now and then? I think he takes one more shot at Roman Reigns, I think, at the Royal Rumble, because I really don't see no one else to challenge Roman Reigns right now, you know, between now and the Rumble. And I feel like they could run LA Knight Roman one more time in the U.S. Because LA Knight, yeah, he could enter the 30-man over-the-top battle royal, but, you know, if he loses, there's that risk of the fans turning on who may win the Rumble, depending who it is. This way they avoid that. 
That way, LA Knight gets a big match with Roman. Roman beats him. The crowd hates Roman even more. And then Roman can do the WrestleMania with probably Cody. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. So this is probably the best way for all those guys to go at this point. Um, I don't know if we're going to get there, but that's kind of where I'm thinking. Yeah, that would definitely, I think, also be a smart move. I mean, like you said, you put L.A. Knight in the Rumble, he gets eliminated, you run the risk of the crowd. I don't think they would go full Daniel Bryan when Daniel Bryan got eliminated for, what's that, 2000? I don't remember. The one leading up to WrestleMania 31 where Daniel Bryan got eliminated super early. I don't think you run that risk because you have enough guys, like probably like a Cody who they'd want to see win, or even, um, you know, like a Jey Uso. Uh, who knows? Maybe some surprise entrance, which we might get to in a couple minutes to talk about. You definitely have enough people there that. I don't think it would be a full riot, but I mean, you know, quote unquote riot is definitely taking it probably overboard, but I think the crowd would definitely care a little bit if LA Knight got eliminated. He'd probably be one of the guys that would have to stay until the very end, at least in my opinion, in order for them to not worry about that. Um, so that's kind of the main roster stuff here to talk about. Uh, we also had some, uh, I guess, backstage or, you know, behind the scenes news as far as NXT's new TV deal with NXT getting a deal with the CW network that will start in October, 2024 with NXT moving over now back to uh, basic TV programming available to everybody. And, you know, they've been doing strong, you know, they've been averaging their viewers have been up a lot over this year, uh, gaining more viewers. And I gotta be honest from that little of the NXT that I watch on Tuesday nights when I'm free, it's, it's not bad. I mean, I would see people online speculating that, you know, if you take Dave Meltzer's award, at face value that Shawn Michaels should be in consideration for Booker of the Year. And you got to be honest, I mean, their women's division gets a lot of a lot of screen time. You've got Carmelo Hayes. You've got Ilya Dragunov down there doing their thing, lighting up the top of the card. You've got this new heel, Braun Breaker, who's been doing well. There's a lot of pieces to like in NXT, and, you know, they've been transferring main roster people in and out. You've had Becky down there as NXT Women's Champion. Um, I think I saw Chad Gable and Otis were down there recently. You know, you've got a lot of people going down there and doing fine down there. So it's a good way to use some of the older, you know, veteran stars like that. And uh, it's smart of them. And, you know, it's good exposure now for NXT. It's officially a third brand where you've got this, uh, uh, you know, whole nother network and who knows what the hell is going to happen with raw because smackdown is now on usa uh there's been talk that raw may be moving networks hell there was talk that raw may be moving from monday night depending on what network it is uh so it's a big positive a big step in the right direction of nxt and you know who knows you may get more people down there that were um you know, from other companies like a TNA or a Ring of Honor now who now know they got exposure on CW to go over to there and sign with NXT and make it a strong third brand. Uh, what are your thoughts, Chairman, when you saw that NXT was signing uh, over with CW? I haven't heard of CW being talked about since Arrow was a show. I know. That was also my first thought. I'm like, when was the last time I actually watched the CW network? <laughs> they going to bring Stephen Amell in NXT for a match? Oh, they might. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean anymore i don't know what's on what channel i mean i literally we're in the era now of streaming so it's literally just uh i turn on my tv and find the show more or less than the channel and then i watch my show i haven't watched it in a hot minute but you know you're right they're doing a lot of good things down there i really should get back on the bandwagon but shit there's only so many hours a day anymore um but yeah i mean this will be good exposure i mean a big network like that you know i think they're gonna doing a good job of integrating um, Raw and SmackDown talents to go down there. You know, we had the Becky Lynch title run. You know, you named off how many people been down there doing their thing. So 
you know, Dirty Dom doing his thing down there with Mommy. I mean, there's just so much going on. You know, it's a good mix. You know, they're selectively, carefully bringing up people from NXT to our SmackDown. You know, we saw in the last year, you know, Grayson Waller, Pretty Deadly. You know, there's some of the others that have been come up. I think they recently called up another tag team. So, I mean, there's definitely a smart way of transitioning people around these parts. And I think with the, you know, bigger platform, I think it can only be good for the NXT brand. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Cam? You know, I thought all three of the WWE shows were all just going to end up on the USA Network, and they were just going to change it to the WWE TKO Network. But, you know, that seems to not be what's going to happen. You know, there's rumors that I think NWA or another promotion were trying to get on CW and the WWE steamrolled all that and was like, no, we're, we'd rather go over there. And so the CW was like, yeah, we'll take you guys over Billy Corgan's wrestling promotion where um, their top guy is uh, the Funkasaurus. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. I mean, you have the addition of Lex Keen, who I think will be, you know, come sooner or later, will probably be your next NXT world champion. Him versus Elon Dragunov will probably be something to really look forward to. And I think, yeah, you know, I watch NXT from time to time, and they do they do good stuff considering that there hasn't been a huge, quote, huge independent signing. You know, you have Jade Cargill, who looks like she's going to the main roster. Then you have Lex King, who came from AEW. So there hasn't really been the pool of independent wrestlers like, you know, years past where they brought in Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke, you know, name them, Roger Strong, Adam Cole, every name, everybody that went through the WWE or NXT system. You know, there's not as many top independent stars out there to for the WWE to sign to bring in as a, as a big name so they've done a great job you know using their own talent bringing in guys teaching them getting them better and I think this is just another step in the right direction and maybe at some point you'll have Shawn Michaels and Triple H you know kind of just co-booking the WWE and you know in five ten years the WWE can be you know a way better place than it was you know just a couple of years ago yeah agreed especially now you know of course the story that Vince is selling a bunch of stock from TKO uh, you know, Vince walking around with his cane, Vince turning into a meme now on Twitter where everybody's using the crying Vince thing for stuff. Um, so who knows what uh, what's going to go on there? Uh, yeah, but we'll see. You know, Triple H has pretty much got the the approval, the OK from the TK uh, from the TKO people uh, in order to run the company like it is. And it's been, you know, honestly, the best programming the WWE has had in the last like. 10 years minimum probably even better if you go back as far as what they actually looked like but it, it's been a good time it's clear that wwe has the momentum and you know the company we're going to talk about next aew really doesn't uh we we're not going to do a full full gear preview uh but I'll hopefully we will hopefully be able to get that if our schedules work out this week but we got full gear coming up we're recording this on uh on the 12th we got full gear coming up on november 18th saturday uh you know on paper, if you just don't even look at anything else involving the storylines, it looks like it should be a strong card. You know, MJF versus Jay White for the AEW title, Cat Orange Cassidy versus Moxley, Hangman Page versus Swerve Strickland, excuse me, Kenny Omega against and Chris Jericho against the Young Bucks. You know, you got uh, Sting, Darby Allen, and Adam Copeland against Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne, Sheeta versus Tony Storm. Uh, so. Theoretically, this should be a really, really good 
match or a good pay-per-view. But, man, the interest level just as far as the build to all this goes just hasn't really been there. I mean, yeah, they got the whole devil thing with who's going to be the devil that's taking out people. You know, I've now seen the wild speculation that it's going to be CM Punk and everything about him being fired has been a work this entire time. Um like it's just this card you just look at it and just nothing really stands out and looks at me like okay I definitely want to order this show I mean yeah I'll find a way to watch it or watch highlights the next day but uh, the momentum for AEW I think just isn't there right now and I'm curious to see how it reflects I mean AEW seems to always be around a hundred thousand hundred hundred twenty thousand dollar dollar hundred hundred twenty thousand buys I just don't know if that's also going to continue here, especially with like, you know, a Saturday night, November college football is getting really close to the end. Um, I just not really sure how this is going to reflect pay-per-view wise. Uh, what are thoughts chairman, as we get into AW full gear, just your, your hype for the card. I'll be honest, man. AW lately just hasn't been hitting and MJF versus Jay White as your main event selling point for a world title match. That ain't getting it done for me. Like, if we had betting odds right now, like, Jay White would not be winning this match. He definitely didn't win the title. Like, I just don't see it. This isn't New Japan, Jay White. This is AEW, Jay White. And he's a watered-down mid-card at best. Bullet Club Gold sucks. That whole thing sucks. Like, I just don't see how MJF does not survive. Like, he's going to survive easily. Like, it's just, I don't know. The rest of this card, it's just like, so apparently Kenny and the Bucks are all mad at each other again. Like, what's going on there? Like, okay, whatever. Um, we're doing Heyman and Swerve again. Cool. John Moxley and Orange Cassidy flipped the 12th time. Like, a lot of this stuff's kind of repeats. Sheeta, Tony Storm. So Sheeta's going to flip the title back again. It's like, this is just not a very good card, unfortunately. I mean, I'm probably more interested in anything is the uh, Adam Copeland, Sting, Darby, Christian Cage stuff. I mean, that's probably, like, one of their better stories going right now. But the rest of the stuff sucks. Like, Ricky Starks and Big Bill, your tag champions, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that is such a weird team. I mean, you just look at those two guys together. I mean, we, we, like I said, we're going to do our top five uh, tag teams currently in the world of pro wrestling right now. And the AW World Tag Team Champions are not on my list. Spoiler alert for when you guys are listening to later. It's just such a random one-off team, especially when you've had... Um, uh, spit it out when you've had Ricky Starks get so much potential going forward and now he's just kind of stuck here with Big Bill. Uh, what are your thoughts on Full Gear Cam going into the show? I mean, I thought this past Wednesday's Dynamite was probably one of the better Dynamites they've done in quite a while because um, the show has lacked continuity, has lacked structure, has lacked anything over the last few months. It's just been random shit and everyone wants to fight MJF because he's leaving here in the next 60-something days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, Jay White carrying around the Triple B, you know, he has no shot. I mean, I think Bullet Club Gold's been okay as, like, a little comedy group. I mean, they've elevated the guns, which is good for them, you know, good for them that they've kind of got elevated a little bit. But overall, I mean, the show is just lacking everything. I mean, Edge, Adam Copeland's debut in AEW has been lackluster, nothing really – exciting coming out of it you know i know at some point we'll probably get him and christian in a match and possibly him and christian as a tag team and that's down the line but his his debut has been nothing short of less than spectacular um i mean you got chris jericho and and kenny omega and like 19 other guys in a in a faction now trying to go after don Callis's crew it's just typical tony khan booking where it's just a giant clusterfuck and you know full gear you know, like, let's see if they actually can sell out the arena. You know, like I said, I told Justin the 
they're running the form, the Kia form that typically the WWE saves for their house shows and it runs about 10, 11,000 people. And that's what AEW has it set up for, for a pay-per-view is about 10,000 people. So, you know, we'll see if it sells out. It is in Los Angeles, but AEW is kind of in a bad spot. And, you know, as we're talking about it, they're going to be in a lot worse spot here coming in the next 60 days. Yeah, it's something uh, that we've talked about, and it was something that we're going to talk about as our next subject uh, is brought up. I saw, I think it was uh, Chairman that pointed it out on Facebook, and it's something Kansas talked about for a while. 2024, MJF is not anywhere listed. They just announced their first four shows uh, for 2024 on their Twitter earlier this week, and MJF is nowhere listed on any of the advertisements. He's not on any of the graphics for them. They're dynamites, they're collisions, so it's not even like it's just all a collision where he doesn't sometimes appear. It's, you know, dynamite too, and he's not listed anywhere on there, which of course, you know, these are the speculation that 2024, maybe MJF, you know, there's never actually any reports that MJF actually signed a new contract when he won the world title. There were some reports that he got uh, more money up front, so maybe MJF still is a free agent. And it's something Cam's talked about for a while, him showing up at the Royal Rumble. So, Cam, does this, does this just add to the hype and speculation for you that MJF could be gone come 2024? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Him not being on the flyer, you know, they don't want to false advertise in case he is on his way out. They don't want to say, hey, come watch Dynamite in whatever city, or hey, come watch this. MJF, AEW World Champion, is going to be there. They don't want to do that just in case, because then... You know, fans will get mad. Who knows? Maybe they'll possibly sue. Who knows? Um, and then, two, you know, maybe Tony Khan is actively trying to communicate with MJF. Hey, I'll give you this much. Hey, I'll give you this much. Hey, I'll give you this much. You can do whatever you want. You can fucking punch me in the face live on TV. I don't care. Please stay. Um, but, yeah, I've been saying it for months. I mean, I feel like he's run his course. I mean, he's done everything. Like, he had the matches with Cody. He went from a nobody to a low, a low-level nobody to the biggest star in AEW over these last few years. And like any other star, you know, you go so far with the company and that's about as far as you can go. You know, he headlined their first Wembley show with Adam Cole. Um, Now everyone and their fucking mom wants to face him for the title out of nowhere, even though he's been the champion for a year now. And we'd have weeks where no one would even approach MJF. But now Daniel Garcia and all these other random assholes are like, let me get a shot at the title. So that just leads to more and more speculation that Tony Khan is on his hands and knees, literally begging MJF to stay. And MJF, not only I think the WWE can probably offer them more money, more him more money, but I think it's just time for him to be a star on the the biggest stage you could be a star on Monday Night Raw. And come Royal Rumble, I think MJF's in the Rumble. I don't know if he wins it, but I think that WrestleMania, it's going to be MJF versus Seth Rollins for the WWE World title. Yeah, the one thing I was thinking about when we were talking about MJF and the Rumble is that he would be the perfect guy to have Cody, you know, get close to winning and then have MJF either, you know, come out at the end and cost him the match or just like not be in the Rumble or be in the Rumble and be the guy to eliminate Cody in the end. And like you said, the perfect way to get MJF and Seth together. I should mention, too, that, um, you know, there's even talk that Will Ospreay's a free agent coming up soon and he's leaving Japan. And there has been talk that even Will Ospreay could be looking to sign with WWE as well. And of course, you know, him and Seth Rollins have had their verbal back and forths on Twitter. So, um, you know, that's there. So, I mean, just think of a WWE in 2024 with possibly MJF and Will Ospreay. And also, you know, there's rumors that Ricky Starks could be a free agent soon or Wardlow. So, 
Uh, just imagine Triple H collecting all these guys. I can just imagine what Tony Khan's reaction is going to be if all that ends up happening. Uh, Chairman, what are your thoughts on the uh, no advertisement MJF and other stuff as far as free agents in 2024? Well, that's why they got rid of the bunny and maybe Butcher and Blade, depending on who you talk to. He's clean, clean the payroll up. You know, he's got to try to pay MJF the big deal. But um, I, I just saw those advertisements the other day. I started laughing. I'm like, oh, there's no MJF on there. That's your world champion. That'd be like WWE not putting Roman Reigns on their big events. Um, yeah, that's not fishy at all. So this tells me that they're not getting a deal done. And I know that there's a pay-per-view for AW in Long Island in December, World's End, whatever they're calling it. That could be the very night that MJF loses a title if they don't get anything done, or maybe winter is coming. They usually do that little dynamite special. So it'll be interesting to see uh, – who is lined up to face MJF, you know, in December, unless they really shake shit up and have Jay White win at full gear, which would be hilarious. And I, I mean, yeah, I kind of wonder how much um, MJF and Cody still talk to this day, you know, kind of wonder if Cody's kind of working things, getting his guys like him, Ricky Stark, you mentioned, you know, them over to WWE. And it'll be really interesting to see if he jumps ship because this could be one of the, biggest stories of 2024 like he's talked about how many times now and will osprey is another name you brought up i mean if wwe is able to bring both those guys in that's like huge like we're talking like signing shohei otani whoever does that in major league baseball like this is like bringing like the a-listers free agents to your organization so this is definitely a story to keep watching and we'll keep talking about it until we see some concrete evidence on where he's staying or going. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see the Tony the Tony Khan tweet if it does end up happening. Um, Will Osprey, I think, again, is also early 2024. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's an interesting time. But finally, you know, I'm, I can remember us talking about the 2024 thing going all the way back, geez, to 2022. And we've finally gotten through. It's amazing how we've already finally gotten through all of 2023. And now here we are with the MJF bidding war of 2024 possibly happening. Or who knows? For all we know, it could be over already. And, you know, MJF has already agreed to do something somewhere. And he's just running out the dates either uh either at um aew or he's already signed with aew and we just don't know what's going to happen and of course there's always like i said the cm punk factor looming somewhere it's just going to be an interesting early few months i think in 2024 hell it'll be interesting next couple weeks with uh, survivor series in chicago the talk that you know it's in chicago and cm punk's supposedly a free agent so there's always just going to be that speculation there whether cm punk's actually showing up or not so It'll be an interesting few weeks in the world of pro wrestling leading up to Survivor Series and the end of 2023. Uh, so that is our current uh, talk here as well. We got the current talk here as well for our first top five, listing our current top five tag teams in the world of pro wrestling. Last week we did our top five women. Uh, this week we're going to do our top five tag teams. Uh, Chairman, I'll let you go first. Why don't you give us this one through five, your or your five to one, your list of your current top five tag teams? I thought you were joking when you actually asked us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like the tag team divisions in all wrestling have been not very good this year, in my opinion. And we lost the Usos, so I can't even put them on here. Like, oh boy, I, I struggled with this. Not gonna lie. But uh, I'm going to get my best. So for number five, I'm throwing uh, a team that I name-dropped earlier in our show, Pretty Deadly. I think they are a fantastic up-and-coming tag team. Justin, you sold me on them. And, you know, from NXT, they had a great run. And 
sure they had a tragic little setback with an injury, but I think uh, big things are coming for their way. Um, for number four, I put better than you, baby. I mean, sure, Adam Cole's out with an injury, but a lot of the stuff that have done before he got hurt was fantastic. Must see TV. One of the only good things about AEW TV was the MJF Adam Cole stuff. Unfortunately, we also got the Roderick Strong Adam crap. So I, I would yell Adam for all y'all, but I got a cold, so it's not going to come out very well. So I'm going to skip that. Um, number three, I'll just put the Young Bucks because, yeah, we kind of crap on them here and there. Uh, but they are probably one of the more long-standing tag teams. You know, I'm still waiting for uh, Nick versus Matt to happen because, you know, since the Usos broke up, so AEW needs to copy that and do, you know, those two against each other at some point. Maybe. We'll see. But, you know, they're still a top tag team, so whatever. Um, FTR is number two. They had a good run as tag champs again for the better part of the year. Losing to Ricky Starks and Bill, Bill Bobo, whatever the hell his name is, is a big question mark but that just tells you how terrible booker tony khan has been lately uh, number one i put judgment day ben ballard damian priest they are the tag champs of the top wrestling promotion in the world judgment day's work's been fantastic and yeah they're probably not gonna be remembered as a great tag team like the usos or you know ftr but they are the champs right now so therefore they're de facto number one in my book all right i'll go next with uh my top five number five is gonna be aussie open um fun tag team to watch Definitely one of the, if you watch them on whatever AEW show they appear on, uh, definitely usually one of the better things to end up watching. So they're going to be nine, my number five. Uh, my number four is going to be uh, the Creed Brothers. Uh, they've had a very strong debut on Raw. Um, they've looked good in all their matches going up against uh, Chad Gable and Otis and as well as DIY. Uh, so uh, they're definitely a team that's going to be pushed as far as top tag teams go. So I definitely had to include them on my list. I look forward to seeing more of them on Raw and having them have actual tag matches. Um, I'm with Chairman. My number, oh, my number three is FTR. Um, they've definitely looked good as far as a team, as, as far as they go. Um, you know, maybe they get out of their contract someday. I don't know. They think they just resigned recently. That's right. Never mind. I'm sorry. Um, so they won't be going anywhere anytime soon. Um, they don't have a wrestle up. Number two is going to be the Street Profits. I just like how they've been. Their heel look since they've turned and joined with Bobby Lashley. Um, I, I think they're hopefully their group is destined for big things over on SmackDown. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I just like enjoying their fresh act going from their, you know, party gimmick to a more serious gimmick. And I'm with chairman. My number one is like, it's kind of almost has to be the de facto judgment day because they're the tag team champions in the WWE. There's no way I'm putting big bill and Ricky Starks on this list. So I think they end up number one on my list. Uh, so Cam, why don't you go ahead and give us your uh, top five tag teams? Well, I don't want to be like 1000% complete bias, you know, so I had to throw one AEW tag team on there. I'm going to go Steen Darby Allen. You know, the, the pairing has worked very well. They've never been tag champs or anything, but as much as I love FTR, they're never around. Big Bill and Ricky Starks is a snooze fest. The Bucks can't get out of their own fucking way. AEW is just a shit show. Um, number four, I'm going to go Creed Brothers. I mean, great debut. I mean, give me that Kurt Angle vibe of, you know, I can hopefully see them like fusing with Alpha Academy. I almost went Creed Brothers slash Alpha Academy there because I think Otis... Chad Gable, the new, newly added Akira Tozawa, who's been in the WWE for forever, has never really ever got to show what he can do. I mean, I saw that guy wrestle on a couple independent shows, and that guy can go. And, you know, he came into WWE and never really found himself under Vince's reign, but now that he's kind of found found himself a spot. Um, number three, I'm going to go pretty deadly. I think that they have high potential. You know, 
they didn't really miss a beat, even though they had an injury, but the vignettes leading back to them coming back were really great. So I think that they have a spot right there. Um, number two, just de facto, because, you know, chairman said it, tag team wrestling hasn't been really great this year um, outside of the Kevin and Sammy story, but that was six months ago and they haven't, you know, those guys are no longer a tag team. I'm going to go Jey Uso and Cody Rhodes. I mean, star power all around, former tag team champs. Um, I don't think they're going to get the titles back this Monday on Raw. I think that was a one-time thing. And then at some point, they'll kind of go their own separate ways. And number one is Judgment Day. I mean, Finn, Damien Priest, you know, you can't – no one's really topping them right now in the tag team world. They they bring it every single week. Judgment Day has, you know, come a, a very, very long way. And, you yeah, know, they're the number one right now. All right, so that is our current top five. Now we're going to do our historical top five, which we save now for this part of the show, with Survivor Series season being the, the thing. Uh, we're going to do our top five Survivor Series pay-per-views of the 80s and 90s. Had it include the 80s there. Notice there was three in the 80s. Don't want to leave them off, and I felt it was right to blend them in with the 90s. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Um, why don't you start again, Chairman, first? Why don't you give us number five? We won't go in order for this one. We don't go one through five. Well, let's go five to one, but it separates. So go ahead and give us your number five. 80s and 90s made it interesting because there's a lot of bangers in the early 2000s that uh, obviously we had to leave off. So, <clears throat> oh boy, um, number five. I kind of had a toss up between a few, but uh, I'm going to go with 1997 just because Austin coming back and beating Owen Hart to win the Intercontinental title overshadowed everything about 97. You know, Owen Hart losing was the biggest travesty for the Hart family that night. Oh, <laughs> never mind. I forgot. That was another screw job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that happened too. So whatever. Um, we all know that story, but 97 has some good stuff. All right. For my number five, I am going to go ahead and pick um, Survivor Series 91. Uh, for me, there's you know, the wrestling itself isn't that great, but it's just a fun time frame. You've got Ric Flair uh, there as the undisputed champion and a pretty good opening long match. You know, Of course, at this point, he had the tag title belt that was being blurred out, so it wasn't the actual world title. Uh, but that's a pretty strong opening match. You know, Ric Flair, Bounty, Ted DiBiase, and Warlord against Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Virgil, and British Bulldog. Of course, you had The Undertaker uh, defeating Hulk Hogan for the WWE, champ- WWE Championship, which was kind of big at the time. And this was like, this was a year after he debuted, and The Undertaker's already winning the WWF title. Of course, he lost it six days later. But, you know, people were kind of getting sick of Hulk Hogan at that time. There were some definite cheers when The Undertaker wins that title. Uh, and his character was just so, especially me as a kid, like, you know, it's frightening, but also unique because like, yeah, as a kid, I'm like, this guy can't get hurt. You know, how is anybody supposed to beat this guy? And then he beats Hulk Hogan. And it's like, shit, maybe he is unbeatable. And there's also two really good promos from the Macho Man and Jake Roberts in the show leading up to their match in six days at Tuesday in Texas. So uh, it's a, a nostalgic factor for me on why I have this as one of my top fives. Uh, so that's my number five. Uh, Kay, why don't you go ahead and give us number five and number four? Five and four, right? Yep. Kind of cut out. Yep, five and four. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so my number five, I'm going to go 1990, simply because it was the debut of the Googly Gob, Googly Gooker. Sorry, I can't even talk. Oh, yeah, and some guy named Mark Calloway debuted too. Um, and then number four, I'm going to go right back after that, 1991. So The Undertaker in one year goes from an own, an unknown you know, guy that, who doesn't talk and, and doesn't can't get hurt to you know dethroning hulk hogan and at the time you know huge hulk hogan mark you know at the time i'm five years old so 
these are my early childhood memories of watching pro wrestling, having the Hulk Hogan shirt and the little plastic mask and all that stuff, you know, um, and the Undertaker beating him, doing the chain, you know, ripping the chain off him, I believe, what, the Saturday or whatever before, that's when they used to tape everything. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Chairman, everyone was kind of getting sick of Hogan a little bit. You know, as a kid, you don't really notice these things, but it was one of those shocking factors where it was like, holy cow, they actually beat him. And, you know, he that's kind of where Undertaker went from there. All right, for my number four, I'm going to go ahead and throw out, uh, let's see, I'm probably going to go, it's a toss-up between 89 and 90. I'm going to go 89, only because it has my favorite Survivor Series tag team of all time, the Hulkamaniacs of Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts, and Demolition. That is, like I've said, I think we've done shows like this in the past, talking about the history of Survivor Series. That is the quintessential, at least to me, Survivor Series tag team, where you got the top guy in the company, the top baby face, arguably your top tag team in Demolition, and then one of your top mid-carters in Jake Roberts as a team. And there's also just a good mix of teams. I mean, you got Randy Savage, Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Greg Valentine, um, you know, the Ultimate Warriors. You had Jim Nineharts on the team, but you got Ultimate Warrior and the Rockers. Um, you know, just a solid group, or a solid night of wrestling. Like, again, it's nostalgic fun there, I think. So I'm going to put uh, Survivor Series 89 as my number four. Uh, Chairman, why don't you go ahead and give us your number four and your number three? All right, so I'm going to do the first one of 1987, um, known for the Team Hulk Hogan versus Team Under the Giant. Obviously, most people know that Hogan and Andre had a huge rivalry during that time frame, and the big shock was Hogan getting counted out. So, you know, obviously he was the immortal, literally never lost during that time frame for the most part. So it's like, oh, he got counted out, and Bam Bam Bigelow kind of had to, like, take on everybody for the most part that was left, and... You know, he couldn't overcome Andre, but he held on, and good for him. Plus, it's crazy, like, looking back at those early Survivor Series matches, you have, like, 10-on-10 matches, and it's like, how the hell do you fit all these guys on an apron? But they somehow did it. You almost got to bring that back for the hell of it. All right, why don't you give us your number uh, three, too? All right, let's do 95, um, headlined by Diesel versus Bret the Hitman Hart for the title. You know, Diesel had the title for, for almost a year, and, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I used to think Diesel was the coolest, you know, but then it's like older me is like, wow, new generation era sucked ass. But, you know, <laughs> Bret Hart, you know, bumped like a crazy mofo. And, you know, obviously I respect Bret a lot more now as I'm older than I was younger because like, I, I was not a Bret guy when I was a kid. I was a Sean guy. But, you know, I respect Bret, you know, a lot more now as an older person and what he did during the new generation era kind of sticking out. So, you know, him taking Diesel down was kind of the big memorable moment here in the mid-90s. That is also my number three as well, Survivor Series 1995. Um, like you said, it's a Brett and Kevin Nash, Diesel, whatever you want to call them. They had really great chemistry together, and I think this was probably their best match as far as their – because they had a trio of matches, one at King of the Ring 94, one at Rumble 95, and then this one. But I think this one is definitely the best match out of all of them. And it also had that really cool for, like, at least the time, that wild card match where we had baby faces and heels together forming – uh, a tag team so that was definitely unique as well and the opener is quite fun too so that's going to be my number three uh cam why don't you give us your number three and your number two that's so funny because i wrote down i had to have a, a bret hart one in there even though i fucking hate bret hart uh 1995 number three i mean i and i put that on there i wrote in my notes only good match in kevin nash's career um so that's kind of where it is you know diesel had his run you know as the champion 
and you guys have already said it, but that's pretty hilarious that we all have the same one as number three. Um, and then if we go to my number two, see, I'm not going to do every, do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. I'm going to go 1992 instead of 97. Um, 92 was the better Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels match, I feel like. And you can't forget that we had a big boss man and nails nightstick on a pole match. Like who you can't top that. And then also, it, you know, we also had um, a really weird pairing. You know, you had Macho Man and Mr. Perfect as they wrestled against Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. So four huge names in the name of in the world of pro wrestling having a, a random tag team match. But, yeah, I think that 92 was and also I think 92 was probably the best time Brett and Sean ever wrestled. That wasn't a house show that was actually televised. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, their Iron Man match is good, but I mean, that's an hour long. And I think it's something we talked about before. It's a little bit overrated as far as match quality goes. But I think everybody's kind of realized that since then. Um, so for my number two, I am going to go. I know who my number one is. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Survivor Series, even though I picked uh, 1990. Um like I said, another group of, of like, I just love these nostalgic shows where it feels like, you know, you're not used to seeing these big teams like uh, Mr. Perfect and Demolition and then the Ultimate Warrior, the Legion of Doom and Texas Tornado. Like, that's fun. Like Cam said, the debut of The Undertaker, uh, that kind of team there. Uh, hell, even like some of the mid-card teams like the Visionaries, Rick Martell, Warlord and Power and Glory. Um, Hulk Hogan's team, you know, and it also had the end, the... Uh, the match of survival, we ever want to call it, where you had the five on three faces, baby heel, baby faces against the heels. Of course, you know, Tito Santana being put on a team against Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. Um, I just love these old nostalgic cards like that. So I'm going to go ahead and make Survivor Series 1990 my number two. Uh, Chairman, why don't you go ahead and give us your number two and your number one? So number two, I decided to go with num- 1996 because we had the better diesel and razor Ramon wrestling on this show, <laughs> <laughs> the fakes now, nah. but um, we did have a good undertaker mankind match, you know, and you know, one of the many awesome chapters of stone cold, Steve Austin, Bret Hart, like the finish was f- hilarious because he had the million dollar dream locked on. And then Brett freaking kicks the turnbuckle and does the roll up. Like Brett and Austin had phenomenal matches. I mean, everyone talks about the WrestleMania match, but this survivor series match, is definitely in the conversation as well. And then, of course, HBK and Sid had their title match, and then The Rock debuted, I guess. So, 96 was pretty bumping. But speaking of The Rock, you know, no Survivor Series uh, top fives complete without 1998 Delhi Games. I think this was pretty much the rise of The Rock, you know, for the most part, because, yeah, he did the Nation thing, but this is what corporate rock. And I remember the whole night, you know, they're in the tournament, he's getting cheered, you know, and the McMahons are setting up Mankind. They screwed Stone Cold over. And then you get the Rock Mankind finals. And then, of course, the McMahons screwed Mankind over, which leads to super over babyface Mankind. And then you get Corporate Rock. So, like, that basically planted the seeds for those two to become main event stars. Like, 98 just did it right. I mean, that was a great, great, great event. My number one is going to be Survivor Series 1996. Um, like you said, there's just so much to like about that show. The first Bret Hart, Steve Austin match that, you know, solidified Steve Austin as becoming a star down the line. Uh, the weird Sean Sid match where the MSG crowd just completely boos Sean because they love Sid and his charisma. I mean, who doesn't? And, you know, people are getting sick of the, uh, the Jose Lothario story at the time. So that was going good there. Um, 
you know, kind of reinvigorated, reinvigorated Sean later on down the line, I think. Uh, you said the debut of The Rock. You had The Undertaker versus Mankind, where The Undertaker was coming down from the ceiling. I think that's the first time The Undertaker really changed his look, where he had, like, the uh, kind of, like, almost where we're getting to the goth Undertaker period. I think that was the first time he debuted a teardrop underneath his eye, too. So it, just a whole new different look there, too. Uh, it was a, a good launching point. You can look back to see where certain things started as far as the Attitude Era goes. This is kind of like a very early part of the book, I think, where you could say you could look back and say the MSG crowd going for Sid, Steve Austin getting a good response against Bret Hart, the new Undertaker debuting. It's a good little look to see maybe like the very early signs of the Attitude Era peeking out. So 96 is my number one. Uh, Cam, what is your number one? I'm going to go 1998. I think just the whole, the reveal of the rock, you know, joining the corporation and him being the one to make sure stone cold didn't leave his champion. And that was like full blown, like, okay, we're fully invested into this attitude era, like on screen, um, character events and everything that along those lines, I think it was a, a great show too, by the way. And I think mankind's use was really, really well done. Um, but yeah, just like the whole, you know, the rock being the guy, cause you, no one really expected that. And, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, I didn't expect the rock to be the guy joining, joining up with Vince McMahon, but there he was. And, you know, it was, it was overall it was a good show. All right, and that is our show for this week. We will hopefully be able to get back together later on this week to give you a preview of AEW Full Gear. So for my co-host Cam and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, I am Justin C. signing off, and we will talk to you guys then.